morning, Cross Point. Hope you guys are doing well. Children, you can be released for Children's Church as we continue in our series through 1 John this morning. But before we jump into that, I wanted to let you know that next Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week. So Holy Week is, is that final week that culminated and led up to Jesus' crucifixion and then Resurrection Sunday that we'll celebrate on Easter Sunday on the 17th. Now, initially, when I was kind of like putting together our study in through 1 John, I, I had a break for just Easter Sunday and then back into 1 John, but caught an audible last minute. And next Sunday, we're going to celebrate Palm Sunday that I want this to be more than just one Sunday out of 52 Sundays. Number eight, is it eight eight three or eight three three? You can either take a picture of it, you can pull out your phone now, and all you have to do is text Easter to that number. And what that's going to do is you're going to get an email, not an email, sorry, a text message starting Sunday in the morning, and that's going to to give you a link to the scripture of that tells the story of what happened that day. There's going to be a short devotional thought that I've written along with uh, like a prayer to be able to pray that we would be intentional throughout the week so that when we come together then on Easter Sunday to celebrate together, we've walked this journey together. And so I pray that this serves us well, that it's a time of reflection. It's a time of of a roller coaster of emotions in all reality. But I believe as we walk through those dark hours that preceded the resurrection, the light and the beauty and the joy of that resurrection Sunday will be magnified as we walk with Jesus leading up to the resurrection. So I pray that, that you make use of that. You can sign up at, at any time. That'll put you on the list. And again, that will start next Sunday. So today, we're continuing in First John. If you have a a scripture journal, this is our gift to you. So if you don't have one, be sure to pick one up at the the connection table. But we're on page beginning in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 today. Now, if you remember, John is the last living disciple. He's the only disciple still alive at the time. He's writing to a church that has gone through a crisis. And he's writing to them two key thoughts two key thoughts for for this church that's hurting. He's saying, look, God is light. And because God is light, walk in the light of His truth. Follow Him. Walk in His truth. And God is love. He has loved you extravagantly. Receive that love and love one another with His love, not just your own love. But we've also heard 
John say some hard sayings. And today's passage is written to the person who has heard the words of John and you felt some sort of condemnation from that. Do you know what I mean? Like when we hear John saying words like in chapter 2, verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, that person is a liar and the truth is not in him. And then the condemnation can rise. Well, I, I haven't kept his commandments perfectly, so am I a liar? Is the truth not in me? Am, am I not even saved? Like, what is this saying? In, in 2.9, it says, whoever says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is still in darkness. And you're like, have I loved everyone perfectly? It says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. And it's like, I'm not perfect. I think of the last week in the ways in which I've sinned. Am I of God or am I of the devil? Whoever does not love abides in death. And what happens is we hear these words and our hearts begin to condemn us. Begins to say, are you good enough? Have you done enough? Do you obey well enough? Maybe not. Maybe you're not really saved. Maybe you're not really in God. You're actually a liar and you're of the devil just pretending, wearing a mask. So what do you say to these feelings? What is John going to tell us to do? This is what John is writing today. This is what he's addressing in today's passage. What do you do when your heart condemns you? And so if you will, stand with me. As we do each Sunday, I want us to pray before we read God's Word, asking that the Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see and hearts to feel and experience His truth this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You. I thank You for Your Word. I thank you that it speaks to the reality of our own brokenness when, Lord, we feel the weight and we want to walk in obedience and yet our heart condemns us. And Lord, what do we do with that? How do we know and have assurance of faith when we so intimately know our own brokenness, our own failures? And so, Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Help us to understand Help us to know what is true and help us to, to walk in the reality and to experience the joy and freedom of your truth. And Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can be seated. So 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 18 through the end of the chapter, which is verse 24. It says this, little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another 
just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, in God, in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is God's word. I want you to think with me of what this is saying in verse 20. For whenever our hearts condemn us. Right, like, think about this. This passage is written to believers. This isn't just to an unbeliever who's experienced this. Like Christians experience condemnation. Uh, Christians experience broken hearts and hurts and pains and the weight of doubts. This is written to believers who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. This isn't someone else's experience. This is also the experience of those who follow Christ. And it can be hard to know the distinction between what is conviction of the Holy Spirit and what is condemnation of the Holy Spirit. Like, how do we know? How do we know when this is conviction? Like, I'm off track here and God in love is convicting. Or when it's condemnation of our hearts. Because condemnation is overwhelmingly negative thoughts about ourselves. It's the the feeling of I'm because of this sin, I'm unlovable. It's shame. It's fear. It pushes us into hiding. It's feeling of separation from God that's rooted in, in hopelessness and insecurity. Where conviction, conviction is a healthy response when confronting sin. It doesn't hide it. It doesn't ignore it. It doesn't belittle it. It calls sin what it is, but it leads us toward God. Think of, think of a child playing in the living room, doing something they're not supposed to be doing, jumping up and down on the couch, right? And they knock over their mom's favorite vase, and it breaks. And right as it breaks, mom walks in, right? Now, one child takes off running, slams the door to their bedroom, crying in the corner with this weight of desperation, of fear. Mom's going to hate me now. She loves that vase more than me. What have I done? I'm a horrible person. I can't believe I did this. They're going to disown me and throw me out on the street because I broke this vase. That's condemnation. The other child, as the vase is broken beneath their feet, you can almost envision it. Their head goes down. There's tears. There's sorrow. They know they were doing what they weren't supposed to, and they broke something that their mom liked. But in their tears, they know that they're more valuable than that vase. And so the mom is like, what happened? And there's the admitting, like, I was jumping on the couch. Like, there's sorrow. There's going to be discipline. (laughs) But it leads in to relationship. It leads in to that regretful, sorrowful hug from the mom as the child is there with the head down. And the mom embraces them, reassuring them of their love. That's conviction. There's a difference. But our hearts can condemn. James Boyce, in his commentary on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, says 
Self-condemnation can be to a number of factors. It can be a matter of disposition. Some people are just more introspective and melancholy than others. It may be a question of health. How a person feels inevitably affects how he thinks. It may be due to a specific sin. It may be due to circumstances. But whatever the cause, the problem is a real one. And quite widespread, how is a believer to deal with such doubt? I want you to turn in your own heart in this moment, just slowing down and, and hearing what those different ways are. When your heart condemns you, when you feel that need to run and hide, you feel the shame and fear, instead of conviction, it's condemnation. What is driving that in your heart? Because there's a list of things, though not exhaustive, that can motivate that. And it's helpful for us to discern in our own hearts. Like some of us just have a disposition. I've talked about this before. It's like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh, right? Everything's bad. It's just a rainy day. I have my sad song playlist. I have that. It's melancholy. It's introspective. And at times we find comfort in our own sorrow and sadness. We can make our home there even when God is leading us out of it. And sometimes our own personalities can lead us to feel and almost want condemnation. Sometimes it's physical health. Like even psychologists have found this. Like if you have chronic pain, you are twice as likely to experience depression and anxiety than people who don't. Physical pain does have, because we're integrated people, it does have an impact on our hearts and how we feel and experience and how we process conviction versus condemnation. Same with emotional health. Chemical imbalance in our brain can cause our hearts to dwell on lies, to believe things that are untrue. Our bodies betraying our hearts. It can be our circumstances. Have you ever found this like It just feels like one thing after another goes wrong. And after a while, the lens through which you see everything is everything's bad. It's always been bad. It's going to continue to be bad. And the only thing I can expect is it's going to be bad. And it's the way we see ourselves. It's the way we see and expect everything to be in the future because of those past circumstances. Sometimes it can even be because of a specific sin in our life. And we misunderstand what is conviction and what is condemnation because of the way we've perceived in or received love or rejection from others in response to our failures. And we think that God is surely going to not just convict, but condemn. So what do we do? Where would you discern the root of the condemnation in your heart? And then hear these words, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. I, can you, I, I normally hate when pastors do this, like say this together, but can we say these words together that God is greater than our heart to hear this together? The word is true, together. God is greater than our hearts. Like that is true, that God is greater than our heart. What does this mean? That it is greater than our hearts because these feelings I have feel real. But you can have two truths, right? 
but they are not of equal weight to one another. Like I can tell you one truth. I'm wearing black socks, right? One truth. The second truth, we are currently preaching from the Word of God, the God who has eternally existed and made Himself known to us accurately, fully in His Word. These two truths are both true, right? I'm wearing black socks and we're preaching from God's Word, but which one is more important? Like, you might be distracted by my socks now. That's how it happens, isn't it? But there's one that's infinitely more important. One that's infinitely more weighty. The same is true here. Those feelings, your, your personality, the, the physical illness, those are true. You actually, like, it's not just saying don't feel that, don't think that way, don't be that way. That's just more condemnation. What it's saying is there is a truth that is greater. That God is greater. He is more loving, more true, more powerful. Than what? He's more powerful. He is greater than your personality. He is greater than your tendency, your melancholy. He's greater than your struggles with physical health. Those physical health, it doesn't mean that that goes away. What it's saying is God is greater than that. He's greater than the weight that that has on you. He's greater than your mental health. It doesn't mean you shouldn't see a doctor or if medications need it. That may be necessary, but God is still greater. One truth is more weighty than another. God is greater than your circumstances. He's greater than your sin. God is greater than our hearts. He's greater than your heart that wants to condemn you, that wants to cause doubts, that wants to cause lies. God is greater. And then notice this. And He knows everything. Like at a certain point, this should cause pause, right? He knows everything. It's going to be like, yeah, 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 but... It's like, no, no, no. He knows everything. He knows your personality. He knows your wounds. He, he, he knows your brokenness. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your sin. He knows your, your motives. There is nothing that exists within us that God's knowledge is not greater still. Like if it's an umbrella, have you ever walked with somebody under, under an umbrella? Okay, I do this. So I'm, I'm walking with Kirsten. There's normally like one shoulder that's still getting wet, right? I'm a big guy. I, we don't both fit under. And sometimes I think we think of God like this. Like, yeah, he kind of like, he's covered a part of me, but there's this whole other side of me. If he only knew condemnation, but he knows he knows you through and through. And then here's the absolutely staggering thing. He knows. And then notice the very next word in verse 21, beloved. You are fully known. Every fault, every failure, every brokenness, every experience, every doubt, every condemnation. He knows you and then He calls you beloved. Like, 
to feel the weight of that. Like that truth has weight. My daughter and I go to the gym, right? And they have these like little five pound weights that you just throw on. And then there's 10 and 25 pound weights. And then they have those big 45 plates when it's leg day, right? Like this is one of those 45 pound weights. Beloved. You are fully known. Beloved. Like feel the weight of this truth on our hearts. But here's the thing. So when I'm reading this, like this is beautiful. It was like this neon sign when I was first reading this. Like whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. It just like grabbed me and pulled me in. And I was like, how beautiful is this truth? But it was amazing at how quickly the doubts return. Because look as it continues. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Okay. So as there's peace in our heart, as condemnation doesn't come on, like we have confidence is greater than the condemnation. Our confidence in God is greater than the condemnation in our hearts. And then this is where the doubts returned. For me at least. Maybe you're different. Keep his commandments and do what pleases him. What does that mean? Like that's the part that I'm like, my mind goes back like because we keep his commandments. Because we do what pleases him. Like have I done enough? Like am I good enough to please God? Have I done enough good things? Have I followed enough of the commands? What commands have I done? What commands have I broken? Am I a, a good enough child or do I need to go run and hide again? Because there's parts of my heart when I read this. The leaning of my heart wants to say, do more, Steve. Be better, Steve. God may love you, but he's kind of, he's a little bit frustrated with you too. And you're not quite pleasing him well enough. Be better. Do more. And there's this leaning in my heart that when I hear things like that, my initial reaction is condemnation. My initial reaction is to do more to be better. But this is where I love God's word. And I love because like, I feel like I'm walking with this passage. I don't feel like it's just like, here's truth. It's like, I'm feeling one thing and like, this is beautiful. And then I'm feeling this other thing. And I'm like, ah, this is hard. And then you continue to read. Like, what commandments? What makes me good enough? What's pleasing to God? How do I know that I'm doing enough? How do I know that I'm loved? What command do I have to follow? When it says, because we have kept His commandments and we do what pleases Him, what commandment must I do? And this is His commandment. Do you see why I love God's Word? It's like, as we're having this conversation, like this is what I'm feeling. This is the commandment. What must I do? That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's it. Like, what else? Like, there's this sense, that's what I'm commanded, is to rest in Him. Like, let these words linger on your heart. What command is demanded of you? What, what is the condition to our acceptance before God? In the knowledge that God has for you, what is He weighing? 
whether you are accepted or not. Believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the commandment. This is it. Believe in Jesus. What does this mean? I think about it, that if I were to physically, like if Jesus was standing here, and the crazy thing in my mind, like visually, because this is where my brain goes, like I'm 6'6", right? I'm a fairly big guy. Jesus, like most men at the time of Jesus were like 5'2 to 5'3 at the time of Jesus. So it's like not very tall. It's not his size, it's not his physical strength, but it's who he is. And to believe in him is to to take my sin, to take all my failures, all my brokenness, to take all the good things that I think would make me accepting before God, and to take all of those, all my hopes, all my dreams, all my ambitions, everything I am, and place them in the hands of Christ in Christ alone. I have nothing. I'm carrying nothing of my own. No accomplishments, no brokenness, no sin. I'm giving it all to Christ for him to carry on my behalf. And I'm saying he is sufficient, not just because he's stronger than I am physically, but because of who he is. The eternal God who has eternally existent, clothed in humanity, who walked the earth who experienced temptation like you and I, and yet never sinned. He is not like us in that way. He never sinned. And then, the punishment that all my wrongs deserve, the condemnation that my sins did deserve, Christ carried on my behalf. Think about this. Christ carried on our behalf. So why? Why would we put on ourselves to say this condemnation that our heart speaks lies to? Say, well, now I need to carry. Like, this is my rightful thing to carry this condemnation when Christ has already carried it on our behalf. This is the invitation. Believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. With everything, we can have confidence in God. He is greater than the condemnation of our hearts because Christ carried the condemnation we deserved. This is the joy and beauty of the gospel. Because we keep his commandments and have believed in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we do what pleases him. We love one another, is what it says in verse 23. Just as he has commanded us, we love one another. It's easier said than done. There is a love that we have received from God who knows us completely, and it cost him his life. He laid down his life on our behalf. It is love that has been extravagant. It was costly. He knelt down and washed the disciples' feet. He hung on the cross taking the condemnation we deserved. He loved us with sacrifice, with service, with humility. Richard Foster
celebration of discipline, wrote this. In some ways, we would prefer to hear Jesus' call to deny father and mother, houses and land for the sake of the gospel. We'd rather hear that than his word to wash feet. Radical self-denial gives the feel of adventure, but in service, we much experience the many little deaths of gone beyond ourselves. Service banishes us to the mundane, the ordinary, the trivial. To be recipients of this great love then is to turn and say, God is love. And as we receive that love, we are called to lay down our life for others in love for one another. This is what pleases God. And I'm aware that this is not my love. My love is a natural love. It's finite. It has an end. That sometimes I'm fueled by my own faltering emotions, will, self-centeredness, self-like people-pleasing, approval of others. My love can grow impatient. It can grow unkind. Sometimes my love is more self-centered than it is towards others. My love remembers hurts. I pull them up and rehash them just for the fun of it, to make sure my anger is rekindled. This is not the love with which we are called to love others. We're called to love others with a supernatural love, with a love that does not originate with ourselves, but it has originated with God. That when we think of 1 Corinthians 13, that His love is patient. His love is, is kind. His love isn't prideful. It isn't self-serving. God's love, it's sacrificial from a servant's heart. God's love, it, it lifts up the brokenhearted. His love bears the weight of our brokenness. His love, it it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Listen to that. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. This is not our love. This is the love of God which we have received. And we are called then to extend and to display and reflect His love to others. Beloved, you who are known by the God who is greater than the condemnation of your hearts, beloved, receive His love and then please God by believing on Him and reflecting that love to others. This is the command. I want to give us three very practical ways of responding to today's passage. To kind of take time, like how do we do this? Because I think one of the first things we need to do is to lead our own hearts. Right? Like I think about in, in Psalm 40:35, the, the psalmist writes, like, why are you kept downcast? Oh my soul, and, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Who's he talking to? Himself. 
He's there having a conversation with himself, like looking at his own heart, looking at his own soul, and he's like, why are you downcast? Why why are you so downcast within me? Why is there turmoil here? What's going on? We see David later in, in the Psalms pray, like, incline my heart, bend my heart, God. Like, there is a reality in this passage when it says that whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. How then do we lead our heart? Like, that's what we're called to do, but I want to give us some practical ways of the way I'm presently experiencing this. It's not the only way, but I just want to share this with you as a way of, like, leave from here, actually leading your own heart. And there's seven... I think there's seven. (laughs) I have them listed in my notes and I don't remember the number. There's seven things I want to walk through in these points of the conclusion. The first is this. This is how I start. I've started this new um, devotional rhythm of scripture reading and journaling as I'm reading the scripture. And the first thing is to connect with your heart. And it Like I sit there and I have to like intentionally Just take a deep breath and exhale. There's a lot that I'm bringing to me emotionally, circumstantially, as I come before God's Word. And I think we're foolish if we think that does not impact how we relate to God as we read His Word. And so there's an emotion wheel in the back because I'm not great at this. And I'm like, what am I feeling? Let's look at these. (laughs) And I'm writing it down. And I'm like, so this week, I've felt fear. I felt overwhelmed. I felt joy. I felt tiredness. I felt angry. All as I've sat down before God's Word. These are emotions that were in my heart. And I simply have to acknowledge that. This is what I'm feeling. And that leads me to the second thing. Then I'm surrendering that through prayer. I'm not ignoring it, but I'm taking the time to surrender that before God. I acknowledge both the weight of my emotions and the impact it's having on me. And then I'm intentionally surrendering that to God. Like, God, this is what I'm feeling. This is what's in my heart right now. This is the weight that I'm dealing with. And I'm surrendering that to you. The joy, the hard times, whatever it is, I'm intentionally believing that Jesus is greater than what I'm feeling. And then, number three, I'm listening to the Scriptures. Now, what that means is I have certain parts of Old and New Testament that I'm reading as part of the reading plan that I use, and I read it out loud. Like, I'm not just reading in my head. Like, there's something in me as I read God's Word out loud. I'm reading it, but I, it's like speaking to my own heart. Like, why are you downcast? Why are you feeling this way? Hope in God. And it's like the psalmist, and I'm saying, this is God's Word. This is what's true. This is what I'm declaring that I know is absolutely the greater truth that I want to weigh on my heart and life. And so I read it out loud. This is how I begin to lead my heart. And then we're called 
to rest in Jesus? What does that mean? Like, how do we know that God is greater than our hearts? How do we help our hearts rest in Him? To believe on Him in spite of what's happening in our hearts. This is where, for me, in the fourth part, I write down as I'm reading what words stand out? What is God impressing on my heart from His words? I've read it. I'm not just studying God's Word. See, that, that's my problem sometimes. Is I'm a pastor, and I lead Bible studies, and I can do these different things, and I want to come in as an academic student. But I'm coming in allowing God's Word to read me, to study me, to expose me. I'm not focusing on those hard to understand passages. I'm focusing on what's clear, on what God has for me and where I'm at today, now. And I'm allowing his word to have authority over me, not me sitting in authority over his word. And so I've read it out loud and then I'm processing, Lord, this is what your word says. This is what's true. And I'm writing that down And then I pray, it's called like prayer through your pen. I'm writing down my prayer. I use the the ACTS method. I don't know if you're familiar with this. It's an acronym. So the A-C-T-S, it starts with adoration. What is it saying about who God is? Not, not my pain, not my heart anymore, but I've sat now under the authority of God's word. I've listened to it. I've meditated on it. And now I'm responding. Look at who God is in adoration. I'm confessing who I am and the brokenness that I'm bringing. It leads me then to a thanksgiving that in light of who God is, he is greater than my sin, greater than my brokenness. And so it's giving thanks for that, and then it's moving towards supplication. Lord, help me to feel, to know, to experience who you are in reality over my life. This is something I would encourage you to do personally in solitude, in prayer. But it's also something as we move forward that I'm wanting us to do on Sunday morning. And here's what I mean by that. Starting next Sunday... We're going to try something that I love how we have fellowship and connection with one another. And I want to encourage that that connection happens out there in the cafe area, but we're going to intentionally facilitate the time as you come in on Sunday morning, those 10 minutes prior to the service. I don't want it to be that we're just rushing in, participating in an event, sitting down, consuming, leaving, and that's it. I want this to be participatory. And so, and I also want to be mindful that we are gathering together as a church family. And so how are we preparing our hearts for worship? How are we preparing our hearts to hear God's word? And so in those 10 minutes before the service, what you're going to see on the screen is walking you through these four things of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We're going to ask that as you come into this space, it's more for reflection, more for preparing your hearts that you can come in here and feel like this is a safe place to just lay down your burdens, to like, where's your heart at this morning before the service begins, before just rushing in and sitting down, consuming, leaving, 
I want to encourage an intentionality of introspection, of reflection, of surrendering our hearts before God. And we want to help encourage and facilitate that. So we're going to try that starting next week, see how it goes, but that's our heart behind it. So the three the things in conclusion. Lead your heart. We've talked about that. Rest in Jesus. How are we believing in God as greater than our condemnation? And then doing what pleases God. Love one another. How do we express what God has done in our hearts outwardly towards others? One is discerning next steps. Like after I sit down with with God, and I'm like, I've poured out my heart, I've sat under His Word, and then it's like, okay, God, what do you have? What do you, do you want me to do something in response to this? Is it something you want me to, to believe differently, to do differently? Who can I share this with? That's the second aspect of this, sharing with others, that how are you going to demonstrate Share with others what God is doing and transforming in you. Because how can you reflect His love unless you first behold Him? If you seek to love people apart from beholding God, you will love them with a finite, unloving kind of love. It will fail. It will falter. But when we behold God, when we sit before Him when we experience what it means to be loved by God because of our faith in Jesus Christ, that is the kind of love we will reflect to others. That is the love we are called to reflect. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, the joy that it is together as a church family to sit under the authority of what we know to be true, despite what our hearts tell us, the the lies that we can believe, the condemnation that we can feel, Lord, the way that my heart can respond. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the beauty of your truth, that our hope is not in our goodness. Our hope is that we believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, that is where we place our entire hope. Help us to lead our hearts well. Help us to rest in you. And Lord, help us to love one another with your love. And in Jesus' name, amen.